We have a special series of podcasts lined up for you over the next two things. Coming to you from Riyabu, the 10 things you need to do to survive and prosper during and after the COVID-19 shutdown. In many parts of the world, there have been lockdowns, quarantines, stay-at-home rules, work-from-home rules. In Singapore, we call them the circuit breaker. Whatever you call it, use this opportunity to implement these 10 things so that you emerge fitter and stronger once the crisis is over. And of course, here's Simon Littlewood to walk us through in this first episode uh, what the five things are that we'll cover in this week, Simon. Hello, Mark. I hope you're doing well at home there. Um, yes, look, uh, I've been through a number of these serious disruptions over the last 30 years, and I've noticed one thing. There are three kinds of company. The first company doesn't survive. The second and largest number of companies survive damaged uh, in poor shape. And the third, a tiny minority, by taking careful steps early on, emerge stronger and with a war chest of cash that enables them to acquire market share and go on and prosper. And what I've tried to do is to develop 10 key principles that if companies adopt them promptly, will make them part of that third group. Yep. That, that third group almost sounds like fantasy, Simon. Is it possible to come out of this, uh, this uh, crisis with more cash? Not only is it not fantasy, uh, those of you that have a yen to Google, and I know people have time at home these days to do this, if you look at the rankings of companies in any sector you care to like, you care to choose, during major uh, interruptions to supply or to economic growth, you will find that the rankings are different afterwards than they were before. That is to say that a certain number of small, agile players will leap up the rankings because of what they do when everyone else is scrambling around for a solution. Yeah. And that's precisely why we're here to talk to you through in this week, through the first five things that you need to do. Simon, lay them out for us first. What are they? Yeah, so um, the first five things which are to do with, if you like, controlling costs and ensuring that you don't run out of money or patients or customers is firstly, to plan to survive. Secondly, to embrace your suppliers. Thirdly, to love your customers. Fourthly, to scale your OPEX. And fifthly, don't be shy, communicate honestly. So um, if I may be allowed to take the first one of those, plan to survive, sounds rather obvious, doesn't it? Doesn't everybody plan to survive? Exactly. I Actually, no, they don't. What most people tend to do is they delay making horrible decisions, wait for things, external factors to change and discover themselves in positions where they have no choice to do things, but to react. That's the difference between strategy and tactics. What we're doing here is we're encouraging you to be strategic. So that means work out where your market is going. What is the worst case scenario in terms of revenue and in terms of activity over the time that this virus is likely to alter the supply chain and a combination of coronavirus and the disruption to China supply chains, which was already in train before this happened, is likely most people agree to cause some kind of disruption for up to a year. That is, it's very likely for most companies in most sectors that you will not see a return to pre-crisis levels of activity until about a year from now. So how do you survive between now and then? 
Well, the first thing you do is you recognize that things have changed in a very significant way and you very quickly act to do a number of things. You lay out the worst case in a detailed plan. That typically means that you come up with two or three scenarios, uh, which are based on sales and costs. Um, you do it top down and bottom up. What does that mean? It means that you use intelligence that you can gather through your own relationships, your sales force, your customers, etc., to build a bottom up case. And you use top down data like proxy data for sectoral growth at a company level and external sources like The Economist, like others, um, in order to build a plan of what's likely to happen to activity in your sector over the next nine to 12 months. Sorry, yeah. Simon, to, to, to just leap in there. So lay out, laying out the worst case in a detailed plan, you know, often people might think, no, I want to be optimistic. I want to talk about growth. I want to talk about surviving. You know, that's that's got to be a positive. Um, why is it so important to not take a middle of the road plan? Why does it have to be the worst case plan? Well, because because firm actions taken now will enable you to keep the confidence of staff, partners, shareholders, and lenders. Companies that die the death of a thousand cuts take a broadly optimistic view, which is what I think you just described. And as things continue to get worse, they have to keep taking renewed measures. So first of all, they say, well, we're okay, we'll manage if we cut this, cut this, cut this and cut that. And what happens is they've got to get rid of more people than they said that they would. They've got to cut more. So the danger is here, if you go on having to keep changing things for month after month, as things get progressively worse, it's impossible to build a positive culture or a growth culture. So it's absolutely critical to define the worst case, take that revenue line as low as you think it might go, and then adjust your costs to a level where you can actually wash your face at that level of revenue. Yeah, that's absolutely and, and that's critical. And that's the second point that you're about to make before I interrupted about. Well, the second the second point is, is that having done the scenario, I mean, because, you know, uh, we all know uh, that many companies love to look at forecasts. But when you actually look at the difference between what the forecast tells you and what's actually done, there is a big difference. So the second thing is you need to commit to firm action to actually cut your operating expenditure to that level. And. And in subsequent podcasts, we'll talk about this to build more lasting partnerships with your suppliers and customers to weather the storm in a very clear way to position for renewed growth. And we'll talk about that. But essentially, the last the second five of the podcasts will deal with how having consolidated your position, you then use the advantages that you've got over your competitors who are more damaged to grow. And finally, to look at risk and know your customer. So there are certain things that businesses actually aren't doing that they need to start doing. So it's not all about cut. It's not all about cutting. It's mostly about scaling down to a realistic market expectation. But it's also about using the bandwidth that you have as we all work from home and as activity goes right down to ensure that other external requirements like more draconian compliance requirements to do with know your customer, manage risk from an AML, anti-money laundering perspective, that those are dealt with as well. Yep. Um, and uh, I'm, we're going to talk about ways that you can manage both of those things. Yeah. Um, so um, we've talked about one, laying out the worst case, two, committing to firm actions to actually adjust your situation to the worst case. Thirdly, 
the fact that by taking those firm actions and communicating them internally and externally, you will keep the confidence of the people that you work with, both suppliers, customers and staff. Why? Because you're not prevaricating. You're not simply saying, let's be optimistic. Everything will be fine because nobody believes that. Everybody knows that there are fundamental changes afoot and they're going to be much more reassured, although they might have bad news to deal with. They're going to be much more reassured in general if you are clear that this is a unique situation and you need to adjust to it. All is not negative, though, because the fourth thing is that you need to remember that the math has changed. By that, I mean your suppliers, for the most part, are in a tricky spot, too, as are your customers. This kind of uncertainty creates an opportunity for you to change the nature of those relationships in fundamental ways. And we'll talk about each one of those individually in later podcasts. But in essence, you can do things like trade off margin for cash flow, aggregate your supply to a smaller number of suppliers, and thus by giving them more business, get better terms out of them. Looking for, of course, companies that are large enough and strong enough from a balance sheet perspective to weather the storm. And then from a customer perspective, to define those customers who are critical to your growth, that will be the top 20% of customers. And we'll talk later about how you can identify them and ensure that you get close to them so as to maintain their loyalty and ensure they pay you on time, which is critical. Yeah. Right. So walking through some of these in, in greater detail, this is a worst case scenario. Um, to some extent, do we actually know what the worst case scenario is or does that also require an educated guess? Um, well, I don't think there's a need for an educated guess because there are lots of clever people figuring out exactly that question right now. What you might need to do, though, is to take data from multiple sources and reach a conclusion on which is most credible. But frankly, if it's a question of survival, you're much better off thinking about pairing things right back to a level where you can still operate, but your costs are significantly reduced and your cash flow is enhanced than you are waiting to see whether or not it's going to get worse. This is a big difference between what I advocate and what many companies do. So firm action taking at the beginning will put you into a very good spot with everybody. Um, the second thing, of course, is, as I mentioned, if you keep adjusting your expectations, one, there won't be much confidence in what you're saying, and two, you're going to have to keep shedding costs. Therefore, it's going to be very difficult to build morale in what you have of a remaining team. It's much easier to pair back to the bone and then be surprised by the fact that things are not as bad as you said they were than it is to pair back a little bit and then discover that things get progressively worse because that ensures that morale will remain at rock bottom for a long period. Yep. Um, what about the cost cutting uh, and operation costs in particular, Simon? Um, does that necessarily mean staff cuts and, and sacking people? The term furlough has become very popular in recent weeks. Well, I mean, here's my view on that. And we're going to have a podcast where we'll go into this in a great deal of detail. First of all, there's a cultural element to that. There are some cultures, particularly in Asia, where there is a sense of community where people would generally prefer to take a pay cut for everybody than they would to see redundancies. But in most cultures, the reality is, that costs need to be cut, uh, employees need to be shed. That's the reality. Um, look, um, hoping for the best is not a strategy, you know? Um, and the worst thing that can happen is that you have to keep cutting. And I've been in so many companies that do this because it just creates the most poisonous environment. The best people leave anyway if they can. 
Uh, it's impossible to get any initiative started because nobody really knows where they are and they're all worried that they're going to leave. So, so take those hard decisions, let people go. And I'll talk about the steps that you can go through to ensure that you scale in the right way uh, when we get to that podcast, which is the third one. Yeah. Um, so, so, so some guiding principles, I think, before we finish that will be important to this overall discussion. One is that hoping for the best, as I said, is not a strategy. You need to define the words. Second, if you don't make strategy, then you're going to be left with tactics. Either you grasp this and you totally change the way that you think and operate so that you're adjusted to a new level of activity, or you sit and you wait for wave after wave of bad news to wash over you. Your customers go bust, your suppliers press you for payment, your market gets tougher and tougher and tougher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to shed more and more people. It's awful to be in that position where you're just reacting to events and you're dealing in a tactical way with this. So grab the strategy. Um, in a crisis, thirdly, cash is king. Cash is king. What's the main reason that companies go, go bust, become insolvent? It's because they run out of working capital. What's happening to companies in Asia as we speak? They are going out of business in unprecedented numbers because they're running out of cash. So we're going to talk about ways to guard cash in a creative way that will actually create better relationships with your customers and suppliers, not worse. Yeah. Um, fourthly, um, I want to talk about what I call two hairy men. Uh, those hairy men are Vilfredo Pareto and, uh, and uh, uh, Mark Twain. Um, Vilfredo Pareto adduced in the early part of the 20th century what some people call the 80-20 principle, but actually he adduced two principles. One is 10-50, so 10% of your customers or your suppliers will be responsible for 50% of economic value. So in terms of defining a problem that you can actually address, because a big fear when you're trying to deal with change on this scale is that you're going to have to boil the ocean and change everything. You don't. If you can change the relationship that you have with 10%, your top 10% of customers, then that will deal with 50% of your economic activity. 20%, 80%, and so on. And the same thing applies to your suppliers. So we're going to be exploring those principles in a bit more detail and applying them in a structured way to both suppliers and customers. So you end up dealing with smaller numbers of people in a much more effective and high margin way. Um, fourthly, sorry, fifthly, uh, people, people, people you work with will remember that you cared. We are starting out on a path where you will be honest and you will seek to help. Whether we're looking upwards at suppliers, downwards at customers, or sideways to people that you employ or stakeholders, shareholders, we'll be looking at honest dialogue, which aims to create new opportunities for partnership. People will remember that subsequently because many people will be reacting to this crisis by doing very short-term things to kind of bail the water out of the boat. And it will be very evident to anyone watching that that's what they're doing. There'll be high levels of, of misapprehension when people look at them. Uh, there'll be a disinclination to support them, lend them money, throw yourself behind them, because it would be very clear that they don't really know what they're dealing with. Yeah. And uh, finally, and this is final, um, resolute visible actions create moments of truth. In other words, what you do when you're in a situation like this, particularly if you do it very differently from everybody else, will show the world, will show your bankers, will show your shareholders, will show your suppliers that you are serious and committed in a way that other people aren't. The will to win is very important at this point. 
um, and it differentiates those who want to win but aren't really prepared to take the necessary action from those who will take the necessary action, do take the necessary action, communicate it, and by doing that, get to a point earlier than everyone else where they can move into a growth posture when the current crisis abates. And that will be the subject of our second five podcasts. Thank you, Simon. I'm feeling energized already. Uh, clearly, the advice that you have to give isn't necessarily going to be a sweet pill to swallow. It might be bitter in parts. But listen out to the next podcast where Simon and I will be back to talk about how to ensure that you keep your customers' confidence. Thanks, Simon. See you then. You're very welcome.